Hello and welcome to the big city episode of Slate Money Goes to the Movies, where we watch a movie with someone fabulous. And I am Felix Hammond of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Axios. Hello. And we do have one of the most fabulous guests of all time to talk about what I'm just going to come out and say is one of the most fabulous movies that we are going to watch in the entire season, if not all of the seasons. Shaz Nanessa, welcome to the show. Hi. Tell me about your amazing situation, Wall Street Journal. Yeah, so I work at, I work at the Wall Street Journal and I'm the global head of visuals, so I oversee all of our visual storytelling. I remember you talk, talking to you a, a while, probably like a year ago now, and we were talking about this season of episodes and you said something about some obscure black and white movie from the 1960s and I was like, yeah, okay. And I should never not trust you because this is an amazing movie. Yeah, it was during that point in the pandemic where I was, I just wanted to see films that were not set in the place I lived. I wanted to be in other countries. And Satyajit Ray is an incredible filmmaker. And this was all set in Calcutta in the 60s, I believe it came out, but it was depicting the 1950s. So it was just uh, such a great film. I had to tell you about it. And it had all these angles to it that were about contemporary or modern city life, modern capitalism, this dichotomy between people who grew up in villages, who moved into the city, you know, the lives of women, female emancipation, et cetera, et cetera. So many good themes. And Felix, something I know you love, which is a bank run. And And there were a a few bank runs in this. Bank runs were definitely a thing in Calcutta in the late 50s, which is a super fascinating time. And I really want to talk to you about it. But like, first of all, I just want to say thank you for making me watch this movie that I would never normally have sought out and watched because it is one of the most beautiful and subtle and just perfectly made movies I've seen in years. It's glorious. And you watch it and every time that it can take the obvious or easy way out, it doesn't. It just it there's so much richness and subtlety in there. So thank you for that and mostly thank you to Satyajit Ray for making this amazing movie. The big city coming up on Slate Money goes to the movies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It comes out in 1963, which is super interesting in terms of like feminism and where feminism is in the US, in the UK, and in India. And this is very much a feminist movie. But tell me a little bit about how that means something different in India in the 60s than it would in, say, the United States. 
There are, I think, still, even today, still very deeply embedded notions. I'm not, I don't even know if it's only in India, it's everywhere, but certainly um, there is still a very deep notion around tradition and honor and family first. But these are themes we see in other films as well. I think of Tokyo's story, uh, you know, the elderly parents who feel... Um, that they're not being treated well by their their daughters and their sons anymore because they've they've all gone off to create jobs and this idea of independence and being an independent thinker as a, as opposed to dealing with the community. So I actually find it very modern. I don't think there's a dissonance between how women are depicted in this film uh, in comparison to in the West, in the United States. It's a very modern film, you know, to be honest. So I, I don't think this is deeply Indian or deeply Asian. I, I think this is deeply societal, even today. And that's one of the things that struck me about this film. I, I rewatched some scenes last night, but there are some there's some stuff in there that's straight out of today as well. You know, the role of women, social changes going on. Like there's a theme around um, elderly people, that there's no place for elderly people in this capitalistic society. And that is something we're grappling with today, what, what happens as we grow longer, grow older and live longer. There's an underlying theme around racism in this film too. If you remember, there's an Anglo-Indian played by the character called Edith Simmons, and they are children um, of British colonials who had children with uh, Indian women, and they are not recognized by the British in this film, and nor are they recognized by the Indians. So they're completely cast out. So the idea of our main character, Arati, you know, Arati on a daily basis, having to negotiate being a traditional housewife and a modern worker and juggling that every day. I think women do that all the time. And I think the pandemic, because we've really seen that, has been the case during the pandemic too, where women are taking the load of the burden of being workers and of being housewives, frankly, and looking after their kids and taking care of the household. So I, I think this is a very modern film. It's a long way to answer your um, question about how it's different from an American perspective. And I don't think it's really that different. I don't think the essentials are that different. I think they're pretty universal. Can we just pause here and just give listeners a sketch of the of the plot so they sort of know what's up? This was released in 1963. Three, I think, but takes place in the 1950s in Calcutta. It centers around um, a working class family. I think it's fair to say the Mazumdars. The husband Subrata is he's like a bank clerk, and the wife starts out Arati. She is like you said, Shazna. She's a, a housewife, but they're having trouble making ends meet. They have the, um, his parents are living with them, and they have children as well, and um, his his siblings. So it's multi-generational household. They don't have enough money. It's clear from the get go. And so Arati is like, maybe I should get a job. No one really wants that to happen. Um, but also they need the money. So she gets this job selling, and we should talk about this, a knitting machine. I don't know. Um, and then so this is like a nice subtle look at what happens after this shakeup in the household. And I totally agree with Shazna that a, a lot of this is unchanged. Like, even though, of course, women now mostly work in in the United States, um, mothers work. I think like seventy percent or something. Attitudes about like their main responsibility being 
as mother um, and like what is who's going to take care of the child when he gets a fever and all this like that's all still kind of a thing and like the father loses his job after that bank run and he's kind of just sitting around and everyone's just like giving him shit for it um, and he obviously feels like wounded in his ego about that I, those are themes that get phenomenon themes um, expectations that everyone kind of still has today I love the opening as well it opens on a commute it's very much about the worker right so Subatra is going to work he's going to his bank but before before that the whole family is just obsessed with money everything is about not having enough money there are comments about how oh we only have fish three times a week now did you buy mother's scented tobacco but he hasn't because it's too expensive um it's just exquisite. The, the, the scenes and the uh, sets are amazing. Those tiny, dank rooms that are just preciously packed with detail. And the audio is amazing, too, because you... Anyway, I could go on and on and on. I should let Felix talk. <laughs> let me talk. No, no, this is, this is your movie. Like, okay, so I think you're absolutely right. It's very fresh. It's, the themes are universal, or if not universal, certainly extremely relevant today. Um we have covered a bunch of American movies about the tensions involved in women entering the workforce, nine to five, working girl, you know, people, things like that, which have, although like on some level, the theme is the theme, like the, the whole feeling of them, the, the, like that they, they come from another planet in terms of, um, the way they approach the subject matter and the degree to which the characters are sort of well-rounded humans. Um, this, this just feels like it's really like every single character in this movie feels incredibly real in a way that just doesn't seem to happen in Hollywood. And for that reason, I think, and for many others, including the fact that like there's always this ambivalence that she or not always but certainly at the beginning that she has this ambivalence about entering the workforce like this is not one of those standard american movies where she's like i want to go out and make money and i'm going to fight the patriarchy and like make sure that i can have a certain degree of independence like she is actually she surprises herself at the amount of independence that she starts feeling and the amount of empowerment that she starts feeling when she gets that first paycheck. That wasn't in any way like the the reason why she took the job. That's right. There's still, there's still a very deep level of femininity to her persona. She is thinking of herself as a woman who's, still, who's trying to help her family. It's not about being empowered or not being empowered. She wants to like help her family make ends meet. She wants to buy glasses for her father-in-law because he can't see because he keeps buying crossword puzzles that he never wins. Um, so, <laughs> right. And then, and then, you know, ultimately she still, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't resent her in-laws. She doesn't resent her husband. She doesn't resent her kids. So maybe that's a big, maybe there is that difference in that she still plays a very feminine role. She doesn't, She's not competing against men in this. She's very comfortable in her body as a woman. Um, and let's just talk about that scene. Let's just talk about that scene where she gets her first paycheck. 
I mean, they are crisp banknotes. And she goes to the bathroom and she has these banknotes open, fanned out, looking at the mirror at these banknotes. She's smelling the money, right? It's such an uh, incredible scene. But then she trades the crisp ones for the the crumpled ones that Edith gets. Does Edith get crumpled bills because of discrimination? Is that what's going on? That's the feeling we're getting. Yep. Wow. I also, um, that was a wonderful scene. And when she comes home and she like hands out the gifts to everyone, like she just obviously feels so good and happy. Um, that was she really, buys she buys fruit delightful. for her father in law and he's yes. like scolding her and how disappointed he is in her that she's working and that she's changed. But then he says, "But leave the fruit on the leave table, the please. <laughs> I'll take the fruit, but I won't take the money." Right. Yeah, yeah. Come on. But I also loved the portrayal of the husband because at, at first I thought he was going to be like stereotypical and like nasty to her about what she was doing because he kind of didn't want her to and his father is not even talking to him anymore. Um, and he's definitely kind of petulant about it, but he's also very loving and supportive. Like at every like clutch moment, he kind of comes through and is very supportive of what she's doing. That really delighted me. It, it was like their relationship was portrayed in a really complex way that I hadn't seen. Like in the movies you're talking about, Felix, that would never... That would never happen in Hollywood, right? And the film is, uh, um, Ray, obviously it's, a, it's an art house film and very approachable. It's not opaque and, and abstract. Um, it's very real, as Felix says. And I think that's because Ray was really obsessed with realism and um, a lot of French cinema that was also happening around that era where you had these really complex characters who were very rounded and there is... It's almost like there's no good or bad. Everything's actually just complicated. Yeah, even the boss was kind of mixed. Yeah, the <laughs> boss. <laughs> what was his name? He was Mukherjee. I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm not saying it right, Mr. Mukherjee. He is, like again, like with all of these characters, incredibly subtly drawn, definitely with the kind of terrible boss stereotypes that you would get in um in the hollywood movie but then interwoven with like genuine supportiveness friendliness um and humanity and you know like it, it was it's was amazing how many times in this movie over and over again you know like he would he would give a righty a lift home and you're like okay this is where like you know he's gonna start trying something on or yeah but it never happens Every, like he's he's respectful of her he always addresses her respectfully um he genuinely likes what she does he genuinely wants to help her husband out and help him get a job um and and you're like yeah why do we never see these kind of complex characters with like good and bad sides in in any normal movies that we watch these days even in the great like masterpieces that we've covered on this show something like parasite the characters are just much more simply drawn than you find in this movie yeah why is that that's such a good question (laughs) is it because it's um so many hollywood movies are marketed to like preteens and 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 adolescents or something that that they're more like cartoonish or in the in the way characters are drawn um is there a reluctance among 
the creators of movies to recognize people are complicated and human and they're not good or bad. Um, Like nowhere, people are often portrayed as good or bad in so many areas, like in the culture. So it kind of makes sense, I guess. But this movie does not do that. Yeah, I wonder if it's just about selling, right? If you want to sell to the most, the the broadest number of people and for people to come to the movies, then there are tropes and structures that a lot of people understand. This one, like the Ray film was, you know, at first I was worried, a little bit worried before I saw it. I love Ray's films generally, but I, I thought, am I in the mood for this? This is going to be really slow. Am I going to have to focus very hard? And I know it would be worth it, but I'm just not in the mood. So I kept putting it off. And then actually when you watch it, it's it's just you're sucked in immediately. It wasn't didn't feel like that at all. It's a bit like Shakespeare. There's like the first four minutes where you're like, you're getting into the language of the movie, the, the visual language and the pace of the movie. And then after that, you just fall into it. And um, and it's, it's just, in, it's gripping. And I wanted to ask you what you meant by art house, though. Like, when you say this is an art house movie, do you mean that it was watched more in Paris than it was in Calcutta? I mean that it was a film with an artistic vision. It was not made to sell masses, but it was it was received pretty well. It won. I mean, well, it's let's just say it's the Criterion Collection, so that makes it an art house movie. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm asking is: is this one? I mean, it clearly is an auteurish film. It's clearly the kind of thing that someone like yourself, who spent you know your formative years in Paris, would would be like, oh, you know, Satyajit Ray and this great global filmmaker who's who's revered among cineasts worldwide um is that as well as or instead of speaking directly to the bengali community in calcutta or you know the the people he's actually depicting on the screen i don't know actually i don't know if it was uh i'm bengali first of all so there was another connection there for me, just to see people in those clothes, to understand the reverence toward a mother-in-law and a, and a father-in-law and that, and that relationship. But I also grew up in London and I did live in Paris and now I live in New York. So the, to me, that just felt a universality to it. You know, it, it didn't, I don't, I think any audience could enjoy this so to answer your question, it's like the first question you asked me, you know, I just think it's an eternal, it's an eternal thing. It's not a specific audience. He, he was after an audience that appreciated realism and really deep thoughtfulness in storytelling where you're not hammer, hit on the head with a hammer the whole time. You're drawing your own emotions and feelings and interpretations out of it through a glance, you know, through a hand gesture, through a bunch of banknotes being held up, through when she puts she puts red lipstick on, right, as she becomes more empowered. Tell me about the lipstick. I wanted to ask you about the lipstick. She's offered 
a, a lipstick by Edith. She's reluctant to accept it, but she does accept it. Then her husband finds the lipstick in her handbag and gets angry. Tell me about, like, this is culturally something that I wasn't understanding entirely. What is the issue with lipstick? So I, I grew up being told I was never allowed to wear lipstick or wear nail polish. It was seen as um, a little bit scandalous. It was seen as, you know, you're, you're basically a tart, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, there's a lack of modesty in women who wear lipstick. And I, and I think maybe that's really just insecurity of men uh, at the end of the day to not want a woman to seem bigger than she is because she is wearing lipstick or wearing nail polish. Or a jealousy because her husband, before she, before she goes, before, well, before she gets the job, when they're talking about a hypothetical job, he, he definitely makes a comment about, oh, you couldn't work in an office because none of the men would get any work done because they'd just be looking at you all the time in right, the classic right. sort of sexist way. And, but that's what I mean, and but that then was, he goes and buys her clothes. He's like, I'll, yeah. I'll get an advance on my pay and go buy you clothes. Like, Which, by the balanced. way, can I just mention, I, I wanted to bring this in. I'm not going to get the chance to squeeze this in. But do you remember, like, that was a thing that you could get an advance from your employer. Oh. Remember when employers <laughs> would give you advances and that was a perfectly normal thing and even if you were like a lowly bank clerk in Calcutta in 1959 you could still get an advance and people and like what happened to that? There are still some services actually. I mean they'll charge you a big interest Yeah, but rate. it's all third party services. Like the employer won't do it anymore. Well, that was a very nice husband to like get an advance so that he could buy her some nice clothes. I just wanted to make one more note on the on the um, on the nail polish lipstick piece. There are some religious undertones too. Why a lot of Calcutta is mo more Hindu when India was a much more mixed uh, country. In a lot of Muslims believe that if you're wearing makeup, if you're wearing nail polish, you you're not able to do the ablution that then allows you to pray. So. I'm sure that some of that has filtered in through the traditions as well of, of the whole lipstick thing. This wasn't about nail polish, but I think nail polish and lipstick are very similarly intertwined. Yeah. They kind of thread the lipstick throughout the film as kind of a plot device. And after the husband finds it, I was like, oh, they're going to have it out now. But no, she throws the lipstick out the window. I was really surprised that, that she did that. But I guess not really surprised because she's... On the side, like you were saying earlier, Shazna, like on the side of her family and like wants to be a good wife to her husband and all this. But she does say something along the lines of whatever you're thinking. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something along the lines of you should give me the benefit of the doubt. You know, stop thinking the wrong things. Assume positivity. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Let me paint a caricature movie that this is not, but that I kept on thinking that it was, and Ray kept on fucking with me and making sure that it wasn't but the caricature movie is basically this sort of naive young mother housewife in a patriarchal setting is very meek and obedient and sort of second class and winds up getting a job out of necessity the job empowers her and makes her realize just how important she is and how valuable she is and it winds up putting her on a much more equal footing with her husband and their attentions and she has this kind of heroic journey to self-actualization and she is struggling against the patriarchy which is represented by her father-in-law who doesn't want anything to do with this journey and he's kind of the old fuddy-duddy who represents the the bad old ways and at the end he comes around and embraces her change and she and her husband like ha- achieve perfect equality and walk off sort of hand in hand into the beautiful sort of feminist future of equality. The movie is not that movie. The movie is way more subtle than that. But explain to me the degree to which like A, it is and B, it isn't that kind of Hollywood morality tale. Well, I think we kind of got got at it earlier on when she maintains her femininity. She's not fighting who she is. She's not trying to compete with men, which is, I think, how oftentimes films are depicted. Right. She never you know, fights her father-in-law. She never. She always respects him. She persists, um, and I guess that's a that's a that's definitely a cultural thing, you know, uh, in India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and lots of other countries in not just in Asia but elsewhere, but the reverence that our parents and our in-laws have is still very prevalent today. And I guess she wins at the end through her persistence and her resilience to just to stay true to herself. Um, he comes around. That's what I also liked about this film compared to like the imaginary stereotypical version you just laid out, Felix. Um, there's always this like American thing where women get jobs and they figure out their self-worth in the job through capitalism like that gives them meaning but working for, girl for this working girl yes, but exactly. for this woman like she does get a job and f- like find herself and like get more self-confident but in the end she quits the job because she has the self-confidence it's not what gave it, it maybe helps her find her way but it she's not anchored to it in like that capitalistic sense she is herself without the intermediary of work or a job or a boss like it's it's the message is still about you and yourself and your family and not about like finding value th- through work forever or something it's it's a little more holistic 
what she really gains at the end, I mean, she certainly doesn't gain a job because she quits the job. She doesn't get any money because they don't have any money at the end. But she, I mean, how about that for ultimate empowerment? She quits her job. <laughs> yeah, Just at the moment, yeah. her husband doesn't want her to. Can, can, yeah. Can, can, can we talk about the quit rate? You know, this, this is, <laughs> the great no, resignation. I mean, but, but this is in, you know, in economics, the way you measure, one of the main ways that economists measure how self-confident and empowered um a population is is by looking at this thing called the quit rate like to what degree are people quitting their jobs and and yeah like it took her being good at her job to get that feeling of self-worth that then allowed her to quit it were you guys i was like what are you doing lady do not quit your job why are you doing this but then I grudgingly, I mean, it's amazing that she stood up for her friend somewhat. Yeah, we, should we tell folks, should we explain a bit why she quit? Yeah, why did she quit? Well, okay, so Edith, her Anglo-Indian friend who gave her the lipstick, got sick with a fever. Fever plays a role in this whole movie. Everyone's getting fevers all the time. So Edith gets a fever and she has to be home for several days. Um, and she missed enough work where the boss... When she comes back to work, he fires her because he doesn't believe, he says she de- he doesn't believe that she was actually sick because because of dis- discrimination and essentially racism, he thinks, like she was out partying or something. And so Edith runs to the bathroom and cries and Arati finds her and makes her, makes Edith tell her what happened and she gets affronted on Edith's behalf and goes to the boss's office and demands that he at least apologize for this and it's not right and he won't and so she quits which is pretty remarkable not everyone's going to do that today or any any time edith is also the character that um did some collective bargaining right she got yeah. everybody yeah she she's the ringleader and i mean i, th- I mean that's clearly implied as part of the reason like she just started off on a very bad footing with the boss who from that point forward was looking for a reason to fire her but yes there was he was definitely racist she couldn't speak bengali she like you know she didn't fit in and that image of you know the white person being racially discriminated against was something which I don't think I've seen in the movies before. No, I like that too because it really turned everything upside down in my head in a good way. Because I was like, I was like, oh, they asked the what? Like at first, I thought, oh, they asked the white person to bargain for them because she is white. And then it was like, no, absolutely not. It's very much not exactly what's going on because she's the one facing discrimination. And the tragic thing too is that she's half white and she's half Indian and is not accepted by either. There's that scene in the elevator when Edith and Dorati are going up in the elevator and they rapidly realize that's where they become friends is in the elevator and they realize very quickly that they have just a few words of each other's language. Yes. So Edith speaks some Bengali because she does say some words. She She talks about how she's about to get married and she showed flashes her engagement ring. But there's certainly, I mean, it was a lot of visual language that was being used to communicate Arati was pointing to her her bindi, the the red coloring on her on her forehead, and um, which is a symbol of being married. Um, and that's so. Yeah, to, to to that degree, there was that 
cultural language and visual language that help them understand one another, the, the signs, the signals that we're wearing in our clothes and our makeup and our religious symbols. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, ransacked my computer. And I, I got people fractured me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's Rebel Billionaire on the slow newscast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. I I was fascinated by the... You know, I guess like the post-colonial echoes of the crossword, which the you know her father-in-law loves and sort of centers his life around, is an English crossword, right? And he it's like a test of your English ability. He used to be a school teacher. He has these you know former students who he's very proud of, and you know at the heart of that, and presumably that would have all happened. Hard for me to do the math, but that would have happened basically in full on like the colonial era. That that was like where, where English is the ladder you climb to become professionally successful. And you, you know, it's a middle class family, so they pepper their their their. You know, it's um, yeah. There's so much I half understood. Didn't like when he understand. says to her, "A woman's place is in the home" in English. Yeah, or. Or when you know that they're, they're they're struggling to get by on on you know however many hundred rupees a, a month, and then part of the struggle is they need to pay the maid four rupees, and um, who you never see, right? She's always off screen. Yeah. yeah, I I don't recall seeing a maid. And yeah, the crosswords were pretty hilarious. This this old guy just I and mean, you have to buy them. He keeps buying these crosswords. And they come with a prize, right? You send them in, and if you get it right, there's like a, a, a lot a raffle for the prize. And he convinces his wife to give him just one last time some more money to buy one more crossword because he might win it. And then with the winnings, he wants to take her. I have to look this place up, Cape Comorin, to see the bridge to see the bridge that's built by monkeys, which sounds oh, yeah. like a sounds like an interesting, possibly Hindu sort of folk folk story, but. Um, 
so yeah, you've got a lot of intermingling of cultures there, but you know, the Brits, the English were there for, for quite a long time. So the ending, she quits her job in the knowledge that her husband also has no job in a fit of high moral dudgeon that came out of seemingly nowhere um, and doesn't seem to help Edith at all. But um, she she quits her job and sees her husband who was coming back to try and ask her boss for a job or to try and get help from her boss to get a job. Obviously, that's not going to happen anymore. So on some level, you know, on a sort of capitalistic level, the movie ends at a low point, but it doesn't feel like a low point. No, it doesn't feel like a low point because um, it's like humanity won in this in this story. And I think that's very much Ray's, that's his own feeling about the world, that capitalism doesn't have to win you over, that at the end, end of the day, humans can win. And I really love the line where she says to him, you know, you're looking up, you're in the metropolis, you're looking at all these tall buildings in Calcutta. And she says, this is such a big city. There are so many jobs. There must be so many jobs in this city. Surely one of us can find one. Um, and I think her husband says something like, I think he says both, maybe both of us can find one. And so that's like the realization of equality. And, and that's between the husband and the wife, finally, they've heightened their partnership. They've made it, they've solidified it at a whole new level. And so I like it. I, I do know, I was reading um, some background on the film earlier on how a lot of people thought that that ending was a bit cheesy and sentimental, but it's not, it's not sentimental. They've still got to go out and bloody find jobs, right? In this city. It so. is sentimental, but I'm not going to put, hold that against it. Like there's, there's, you, you know, it's a bit like people who refuse to use sugar in their cooking. Like, come on, man, you've got to be able to use the full range of human emotions. And <laughs> sentiment is part of that. Well, they probably went home and had a fight afterwards anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Once the money started running out. One thing that really warmed my cockles was to see those kitchen scenes where they're seated, because that's how I grew up. My mother was, we, we, we cook on the floor, on the ground, seated. Um, so that was, that was a really nice connection. And the obsession with fish, you know, Bengalis are obsessed with fish because it's, it's, uh, there's so much water there as well. But there was this great scene when um, uh, Arati gets her job and it's her first day going to work or she's already like a week in and she's seated eating breakfast with her husband. They're eating breakfast together where prior she would be serving him breakfast and to me, that was a really beautiful scene. So I think there is so much power in these images that, that go so much deeper, if you think about them, um, than some of the aforementioned Hollywood films that we talked about. But you've got to think. You've got to be, you've got to be thinking as you're watching it. You know? You've got to be open to it. You, you can't be passive. Are you, or you're going to miss it all. I hope people go watch this movie now. Yeah, guys, go watch the movie. I loved it. I, I thought it was just revelatory Where can folks and see it? wonderful. Where can you folks can see, see it. it. Um, well, I, I rented it off Amazon for $3.99. Emily? Yeah, also Amazon. But then as I was uh, reading about it this morning, I think you can watch it for free on YouTube. So. Yes, you can. 
Um, but but it's not a great quality. There, there's a moment where it all goes, it becomes asynchronous. So the, oh, the, no. the sound is not synced with the mouth moving. And then there are versions that don't have subtitles. So if you're up for a subpar experience, it is on YouTube. Or if you... <laughs> Speak bingo. Yeah, it should be out of copyright soon. I don't know. Maybe we can we can but hope. But go see it. It's definitely worth three dollars ninety nine. It's worth thirty three dollars ninety nine. It's a fantastic film. Jasna, thank you for making me watch it. Um, we'll come to you in a second. But Emily, you agree, right? You love this movie. Oh yeah, this is such a great, delightful. Su- I was so surprised and happy that I liked it. I mean, I'm so glad I saw it. So thank you. Okay, Shaz, last word to you. Yeah, where where does this movie stand in your sort of personal pantheon? It makes me want to watch every other Satyajit Ray film. I mean, I've watched a few, but not all of them. And uh, it's just one of those things that make you want to consume everything by that artist. Because you know there's a level of something that you're going to get. There's something you're going to get out of it that's special and different. On which note, thank you so much. It's been amazing having you on the show. So fun, and we were interrupting each other all the time, which I thought was amazing because that meant we were really passionate and we're really into this into this film. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.